If you had to sum up your life or the life of a loved one in just a few words, what would you say? Lisa Truce has spent a lot of time thinking about this, not so much for herself, although that does enter her thoughts, but for the many customers who look to her family's monument business to create a lasting tribute in granite for their loved one. You see these epitaphs and you daydream for a minute or two about, you know, that, that sounds like it would have been a neat person to know. I just looked at a couple of markers this morning on my way into work, and on the wife's memorial, it said, a woman of valor. I just got goosebumps. Like, you know, I think a lot of people, men or women, would be proud to have them remembered in that way. And on his memorial, it said, an honorable man. Whenever I see things like that, someone really thought about that. is the fifth-generation president of the Peter Troost Monument Company, which has been making grave markers, headstones, and mausoleums in the Chicago area since 1889. By the time customers arrive at Lisa's office, they're usually at a late stage of the formal memorial process. It's after the funeral, after the burial, and families are ready to take care of this final important step. The sales process is actually very rewarding. And it's probably one of the, you know, my more favorite things that I do here, which always surprises people because I think they have the stereotype of this business being very depressing and people are through here all day in tears and it really couldn't be farther from the truth. I think they leave here generally, relief is I guess the motion I would use to describe most of our families. They're relieved that we did that, this is going to be great, I'm really happy with what we've done, mom would have loved it. Nobody wants to be visiting their parents' grave at the cemetery and have it be unmarked. It's depressing. So I'm really happy that we can help them get get that off their minds and taken care of. Welcome to The Distance, a podcast about long-running businesses. I'm Waylon Wong. On today's episode, what it's like to sell something that many people would rather not think about and what longevity means to a business whose product is purchased just once and designed to last forever. The Distance is a production of Basecamp, the leading project management app for keeping everyone on the same page. Last week, another 5,923 companies signed up to run their projects with Basecamp, and you can try it free for 60 days at basecamp.com slash the distance. Lisa's great-great-grandfather immigrated from Belgium in 1868, just a few years before the Great Chicago Fire. He and his brother set up the business in Forest Park, a western suburb of Chicago, before moving to the company's current location in the nearby village of Hillside in the early 1900s. The Truce Building, which consists of a small house with a manufacturing plant in the back, is situated just a few minutes' drive from several large cemeteries including Mount Carmel, the Roman Catholic cemetery where Al Capone is buried. In the lobby of the Troost office hang several framed photos where you can see different generations of Troosts standing in front of the house. This legacy, along with the more prosaic realities of running a business, were a big part of Lisa's upbringing. I did kind of get the sideways glances from my classmates in grade school and junior high who probably heard kind of what we did maybe from their parents and probably just connected too many dots and thought we were grave diggers and embalmers and, you know, all that work kind of gets lumped together. 
But I, I guess I was always memorable, if for nothing else than, oh, that's the girl whose parents have the death business. There is actually some grave digging in the family history. Lisa's branch of the Truce used to own a cemetery business where her father worked as a teenager. Here's Frank Troost. Maybe I was a freshman in high school and I was assigned to work over at the uh, cemetery we had. The issue was there was a small cemetery. It didn't have a, a machine to dig the graves, so we dug the graves by hand. The most memorable part of that was having to uh, dig a grave during a thunderstorm when it was torrential rain and, and lightning in the sky and the water is pouring in the grave about as fast as we can pump it out. But in the cemetery, if you have a burial coming in, that, that grave must be dug under any conditions. So I decided I would study a little harder at that point, maybe do a little better in school, so this wouldn't be my lifetime vocation. We used to figure it took two men half a day to dig a grave. And grave's usually about five and a half feet deep, and three feet wide, and about seven and a half feet long. So. As long as the the ground isn't too hard, (laughs) it's not too bad. Where Frank did enjoy working was the plant where the engraving gets done. Troost gets its granite from quarries in countries like Denmark, India, China, and South Africa, as well as U.S. states like Georgia, Vermont, and Minnesota. When the stone arrives from the quarry, it's usually already cut to size. Troost focuses on the design and finishing work, like sculpting and engraving. It's been this way for a long time the quarries handling the heavy manufacturing, and craftsmen at Troost tackling the details. And while much of the design and engraving work has migrated to the computer and other kinds of machinery, some important jobs are still done the old-fashioned way. When there is a marker already in the cemetery, and we need to duplicate it. So maybe the husband died, and he has a marker, and now the wife has died, and they want one for her that looks just like Dad's. So we use this tracing paper. You can There's a roll of it over there, uh, this blue tracing paper to go out and get a tracing, or we call it a rubbing, of all of the design and lettering work that's on the existing stone. And then it gets transferred onto a a stencil that will be used to do the engraving on the new stone. That's pretty much the way that process has been done for the last hundred years. Another trick of the trade? Don't read the names. This isn't so much an emotional safeguard as a practical one. We're really taught not to read the names because people will have unusual spellings and things. So you would usually go from right to left and just look at the letters and numbers to be sure they're the same as on the order. There's actually a whole host of nitpicky considerations when it comes to grave markers or headstones. The font can't be too small. And letters should have wide bars, otherwise they lose definition and can't be read from a distance. Individual cemeteries have their own rules and regulations about things like size and materials and finish. Even within these constraints, Lisa says there's a trend toward greater personalization. Out in the back lot where dozens of monuments are lined up waiting to be installed, she points out a marker for a well-known local businessman whose signature has been reproduced in the stone. We don't want to just churn out things with names and dates for a number of reasons. One that doesn't do a great service to the deceased. They probably have something more to say for themselves than just my name is blank and I lived this time. But two, it it helps us differentiate our product from the person that only knows how to churn out name and dates. And so if I have some creativity, it can be expressed through the monument. 
It's fascinating to see the symbols and images that turn up on the monuments here. Looking around, there's a slot machine, a set of child's handprints, the Harley Davidson logo, another slot machine, this time next to a bingo card. When Lisa or a member of her sales staff sits down with customers, she has to walk them through the process of pairing their loved ones' lives down to the essentials. Whatever will fit elegantly on a granite marker, name, date, maybe a short epitaph, an image that says, here's what this person was about during their time on Earth. I never will sit down and whip out my book of 700 fonts and say, I'll check back in six hours, let me know what you've picked. You know, I'll listen to their story, tell me a little bit about the person, because whatever they're going to mention are going to be kind of the highlights, and then try and guide them from there. So we always have to keep in mind it's a sensitive purchase and not anything that's going to get replaced. So it's not like this just has to keep them happy for the next five years. This has to be it forever. As the business owner, sometimes that's the bummer. It's like, oh, you know, this is a wait. Like, I don't want them in five years to say, we should have done such and such. I wish Lisa had told me we could have done something different. You know, I'm very mindful of that and don't want that person to have buyer's remorse. Certainly with a product like this, if it's your refrigerator or your car, you know, you're expected to swap those things out. This, not so much. You'd think that because people are passing away every day, Truce business would be secure in perpetuity. But there's been plenty of challenges over the last few decades. Cemeteries have gotten into the monument business, so some of them now compete with Troost. And cremation has been rising steadily in the U.S. The National Funeral Directors Association projects that 48.5% of people will be cremated in 2015. If that projection holds true, this year will be the first that more people are cremated than buried. My dad is fond of telling those that aren't familiar with the business, which is everybody, that 75 years ago, there was 80 monument companies in Chicago, and today there's about four. And where has that business gone? Well, the four of us have gotten some of it. The cemeteries that now are in the monument business that weren't back then, they've certainly got a percentage of it. And then there's cremation. Some more people cremate today than they did before, and not all cremated remains get buried in the cemetery. Plus, with you know, society being more spread out geographically now, sometimes just a person dies in one state, that doesn't mean they necessarily get buried there. So I think the business has kind of gone in a hundred different directions. The truce have also taken their company into new directions. While Frank was president, he bought a couple dozen monument companies, mostly mom and pop operations whose owners were retiring without anyone to take over. That expansion allowed Truce to have a presence in other states, like Wisconsin, Iowa, and Florida. Frank manages acquisitions carefully, forming relationships with fellow business owners and persuading them that he could carry on their hard work. If you want to expand, if there's other companies in the area that, you know, the, the owners are getting older and they want to get out of it, then it's, you, you can talk to those people and if you've had a good relationship with them over the years, they would be inclined to sell you their, their business when the time came. So I think over the years, I, I must have bought maybe 26 or 27 monument companies that way. What's helped along the way is most of these companies we bought, the former owners stayed on for a period of years, often until they in fact retired 
So we weren't faced with taking it over and then also having to immediately hire somebody to to staff the location. Frank still works a nearly full-time schedule at Troost, but Lisa, who started at the company in 2000 after a stint in corporate finance, took over as president about eight years ago. She modernized the office, introducing computers and email and voicemail, and she's also pushed the business into other kinds of monuments and memorials. We do some more commercial work now, things like bronze plaques for schools or offices or municipalities or park districts, stone signage, granite benches, uh, veterans memorials, police and fire memorials, things like that that help diversify our product line a little bit. We've never looked at it as this is a sure thing, never ever, which also is probably one of the reasons why we're still here because we're very mindful of, you know, others who would be happy to take us over or take our market share or things like that. Frank and Lisa are also aware that they're fighting the odds on passing down the business to future generations of trusts. Lisa has three children, but they're still young and many years away from a serious conversation about succession. And she and her father know that running a monument business isn't for everyone. It requires versatility, compassion, creativity, and a love of an industry that's often misunderstood. One trend that Lisa's noticed in her business is that more people are coming in to pick out their own memorials, a customer segment euphemistically referred to as pre-need. You might say that when it comes to the survival of their family business, the truce have always done pre-need planning. I can appreciate how difficult it is to keep a business and a family for five generations. I think my um, predecessors benefited by they all had six, seven, eight children. So it was a little bigger pool, where in my case, there was just two. Uh, Usually if we advertise for a key position, say sales manager, we'll get 1,500 resumes. Maybe it'll get down to interviewing, seriously considering 100. And with a family business, you're going to be restricted uh, usually to the number of children you have. So instead of a pool of 1,500, you've got a pool of uh, two. If you're fortunate, maybe three or four. And the odds don't favor something like that working out. I would love for my children to carry on the tradition, but they have to be willing, one, and even more importantly, perhaps able. If I approach them and they're doing other things and I have to prepare the business for sale, I'll do that. We've always, the Troost family members, I think, have viewed their job title less as president and chairman and more as the current generation in charge. And when I'm not the current generation anymore, it will be up to whoever, whether that's a family member or somebody else. The Distance is produced by Sean Hildner and me, Waylon Wong. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on iTunes or tell a friend about us. We're on Twitter at DistanceMag, that's at DistanceMag, and you can also subscribe to our newsletter at thedistance.com. The Distance is a production of Basecamp, the project management app for keeping everyone on the same page. Give Basecamp a try for your own projects at Basecamp.com slash TheDistance. Distance.